This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN. ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we're going to do a looking back on the beat episode with Mike G, a legend among Giants fans. We're talking about Mike Garofolo, of course, uh, the NFL Network insider, breaks news left and right. You see him all the time uh, on the air over there. He covered the Giants for the Star Ledger pretty much during the glory years of the Coughlin Eli era. Still very. Uh, has close ties to the organization and team. Still pissed at him for breaking that Odell Beckham trade story. Uh, but yeah, Mike Mike's on top of it. He's the man. And we're going to get into, uh, you know, his exploits on the beat and working with, uh, trying to work with people like Tom Coughlin and Eli Manning and all the fun stuff of coming, coming from Philadelphia, really, and trying to integrate him with Giants fans and, and on this Giants beat, which he... Did an amazing job and dominated for for quite some time. So uh, this will be a fun one. This is really what we're gonna do. We're in this. This is. I know it's not officially summer. Actually, summer's coming up. I'm, I'm taping this on uh, Wednesday afternoon. Summer, summer's right around the corner, a few days away. But it's summer break has already started. Giants wrapped up their their uh, OTA this week. I believe Tuesday was the last day, and I spoke to a bunch of players and stuff over there. Their main takeaway from this offseason was lots of conditioning, and that's kind of the impression I got when you speak to Joe Judge. It's, all right, we're going to do some work here in the spring. We're going to get the mental part, learn the systems, get guys in shape. Not They didn't run live drills. No live drills. 11 on 11, offense versus defense. That did not happen because it's okay. It's I mean, the concept is Okay, get everybody in shape well enough so that when the summer comes around, we're not going to have this huge glut of injuries, and then the guys will know what they're doing, so they'll be able to play faster and play more freely. So that's really what the spring was like for the Giants. Uh, Now we're into the summer months. It's now, they don't report until July 27th now. That's when all the teams in the NFL now, aside from the people playing in a Hall of Fame game, will report. So from now till July 27th, it's going to be pretty slow. So we'll do a bunch of episodes like these. Uh, Mike G, he's our guest this week. We'll uh, go around the division one week. We'll bring in some interesting guests, uh, giants of the past, uh, people sort of on the periphery. Uh, we'll get Pat Leonard in here, talk about uh, some of the things we, we failed to talk about last time. Everybody wants that Brad Wing story, his his relationship with Brad Wing. They want to hear about that, so we'll do that. But Mike Garofolo, Mike G, let's get to that right now. On to the next one. 
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right. Here he is. The man you guys always want to hear from when it comes to the Giants. And, you know, I still I still get it all the time, Mike. You, you know, we need to get rid of you. We need Mike G back. You know, my, my, the legend of Mike G on the Giants beat is is just it's a it's a beast that's never going to die. So you, you are a special, you have a special place in Giants fans heart. You should know that. Uh, I, I appreciate that. Um, I, listen, I, I was, I also covered the team when they were pretty damn good for um, <laughs> eight years, I guess. I mean, my, my first year was, was, I, I, I happened to come in when, when Coughlin and, and Eli came in 04. Uh, they won the division in 05. Yeah, it worked out pretty well. That's a good time to come in. You, you want to switch 04 or 013? Or no. Yeah. 04, made, 13, made, the, made, made the playoffs in 06, won a Super Bowl in 07. 08 was certainly eventful, and, and that still hurts Giants fans um, because they felt like that should have ended better, and we all know what happened that year. Uh, 2009 was not great. Uh, 2010, you and I were just discussing before we came on here uh, and the Matt Dodge game uh, that I'll be doing for NFL Network soon. We're going to do a a looking back at that game. I'm watching it live with Colleen Wolf, who has better memories of that game than than Giants fans do. Um, She growing up in Philadelphia. Philly's Um, finest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then 11, the second Super Bowl. Um, And then I left in I left in. 12 and they haven't won a playoff game since I left. So I, I would say that I think. Thanks for the handoff, Mike. Thanks. Appreciate it. The team, <laughs> the, the fond memories of the, the, the way the team was playing probably coincided with some of the stuff. And I would, I listen, I go back and I, you know, and I don't know if you do this, but like I go back and read some things. Um, and and I cringe a lot of you know. I just, I was about to say you know, it. I, that's exactly the word that was coming to my head for me. Like I cringe when I look at some of the stuff that I wrote. Yeah, because listen, you learn more as you go. I mean, there's stuff. I just oddly thinking last night about when I wrote late in the 2004 season uh, when I had a few players talking to me about we're not so sure that free agents are going to want to uh, sign here because of Coughlin, and then they went out and pulled in like four or five core free agents, including <laughs> Plaxico and um, Antonio Pierce and Curry McKenzie and Jay Feely, I think were the four they signed, the four big ones they signed that year. So, you know, you just, you make, you make mistakes. I have to listen after the 2007 regular season finale, when everybody said they hung with the Patriots, they showed if they play them again, they show they can go toe to toe. And and I took a, a, my thing was, what's the big deal? Like the, the, the Ravens were like four and 12. The Eagles, I think had, had AJ Feely and, and the Patriots were sputtering down the stretch. Right. And every game they were playing was, was close, including against bad teams. And I remember writing this thing saying, (laughs) you know, easy what you think you're taking out of this game here. And and then, and then they went and and beat. So I, 
I, you know, I've, I've, <laughs> it, it wasn't, thank you for the fond memories. I, I, as, as any, probably any uh, professional athlete would tell you, 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 you think more of, you remember the misses more than the hits. I mean, you know, Tom Brady's got seven rings and still tells you about how much 2007 stings for him. So that, that's the kind of stuff. That's the kind of mentality I have when I hear that kind of stuff, but I, I, I do appreciate it. Well, when I tell you that I go back and the, the one story I I've read like a hundred times was I fired Coughlin in a span of like 10 minutes in 2013, 2013. Yeah. 2013. And it's like one of my biggest regrets because I was writing, they were killing Jacksonville. They're smashing them. And I was writing about how they're still playing for Coughlin, even though they were terrible. I mean, they were awful. Mm-hmm. And then like they blew it in the second half and like in like a ridiculous fashion, like just fumbling the ball in their own five yard line. They basically could have just kneeled on the ball in the second half and won, but they, they didn't. And I wrote in the span of 10 minutes, went from they're playing for Coughlin to they need to fire Coughlin. And then the next thing I know, Coughlin was obviously going to come back for another year. And that didn't go well. So that takes me to my next question. Because my relationship with Tom Coughlin, partly for that reason, was a little frosty for sure. <laughs> what was it like for you? I'm curious. Because you, you, they were winning at the time. But Tom Coughlin, to me, still seemed like a guy who we were an interruption, a waste of his time because he needed every minute in the day to do his job that we were just distracting him. So where yeah. were, where were you at? What was that relationship with Tom Coughlin like during the glory years? Um, I we didn't really. I mean, very few people did. Um, you know, I think at Pete, it's funny. Pete Prisco was the one that covered him in Jacksonville. Oh yeah, um, he has funny Tom Coughlin stories. By the way, he's got great Tom Coughlin <laughs> stories, and Coughlin, you know, threatening him, and you know. Called him at seven, uh, like six, six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Complain about his story. Yeah, and and Pete telling him that he violated this and that and the other thing, and writing that players were upset and you know a lot of the stuff that I did. I mean, you know, I, players were upset. I remember Brandon Jacobs. Brandon Jacobs. Crap, who was in that car? Brandon Jacobs. Uh, Vicente Shanko. And there was like a rookie, like a like an undrafted rookie or something. Was it? And they were late coming back from a preseason game back up to Albany. This was 06. And he fined them all like 10 grand each. It was it was ridiculous. And the players were so pissed. So like I remember Sean O'Hara w- wouldn't confirm anything for me, but was pissed. You know, it was like, I'm not saying anything about it, but there's a fine line between being a uh I forget what he said. This was an off the record conversation. Anyway, um so uh I, you know I wrote that stuff and you know he I remember one time he 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 they had a fight with the Jets at um training camp. Oh yeah when they had like a joint practice yeah yeah and there were brawls like left and right and they just it started it was all over the place. I think it was might have been the last time they ever that ever happened. Yeah I think that was it. I think it was oh maybe in 07. Um and and Hutch, Dave Hutchinson was our Jets writer, and he wrote some stuff, and I wrote some stuff, and we kind of, hey, here's what I got, here's what I got. and in his story, he had a, you know, sources say some Giants players were were telling, you know, were were kind of privately saying like to Coughlin or or not to him, but amongst themselves, was like, relax, it's football, chill out. Because Coughlin was adamant to 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 cut out the crap or whatever. And they were like, no, this is good. And coach stopped making us look like a bunch of wusses here or whatever. Um, and we had a private meeting and he pointed at me and he, and he said, you know, and I, I, you didn't put your name on it, but I know that, that you, 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 you were in that, uh, that was you and his story. And, um, anyway, <laughs> um, 
we, so we didn't, you know, it was, it was funny to watch him come in because he was trying to set a tone and he was trying, you know, remember it was a country club at the end of the Jim Fossil era. And he was really trying to lay down the law and, and he, he grew to understand a little bit more. He never fully understood or, or appreciated what we were doing, but he came to understand a little bit more. So, you know, we never really had a relationship. Anyway, I was talking about Prisco. Prisco would write that. And so every now and then you'd see something that Prisco had some insight on the Giants and it'd be like, uh, clearly he called Tom and Tom, but it was just foreign to me, the idea of, you know, <laughs> calling Tom and talking to him. We didn't have that kind of a relationship. Um, yeah, no, but I, 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 I always say I never had a human relationship, even like off the field with Tom Coffin no. when I was covering the team. Like never, never. No, but part of it, part of it was I was 26 and he was, you know, I guess 58, 60, whatever, you know, uh, he, he, um, when, how old was he? Yeah, he was in his late fifties. I think when he took well, the he job. Was like and then 68, 69, I think when he, when he finished. So that was like what, right. 14. And he so been you're there, talking like right. seven years yeah. back. Yeah. yeah. I think it was like, he was, in his, so. he was in his sixties. And I was 20, I was not, I was 20, I was 23 when I took the job. So 23 and he was, yeah. So we, we didn't have any common ground, but I do remember this after the 06 season, we each had half an hour uh, meetings with Coughlin off the record as he tried to like get a better understanding of us and we of him. It was Pat Hanlon, the PR guy, uh, the head of P- uh, media relations for the Giants, uh, VP of communications, I think is his title. Um, senior VP. Sorry, Pat. Um, he's not listening. He is uh, not listening to this. I'll tell you, I can guarantee you that. <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, we had half hour off the record sit downs and he would, and I, rem, I was late in the week. It's, it was like Monday to Friday. And I think I was like Thursday or Friday when I got mine. And I heard that they were not going well, that they were <laughs> like yelling and screaming back and forth about, you know, you don't respect us. And, you know, all we're looking for in press conferences is a little insight. And you got to make it, you know, all this stuff. Um, and so I think, I think he anticipated that I was going to be the worst one. And probably because, you know, I was the the younger guy, the more, I don't know, brash. I mean, I was, you know, stupid, like I said, in a lot of things that I wrote, but I would, I would, you know, so I, I think he was anticipating that we were going to have a problem. And he, he started with like a 10 minute rip to start the meeting. <laughs> and he's like, well, I'm curious to know your thoughts. And I was like, Tom, we're good. <laughs> I'm like, all I, all I ask, cause I've covered teams before where the head coach will say one thing to the local media. And then five minutes later, the national media are saying something. I mean, listen, I, I, I'll never forget Andy Reed. They draft Sean Andrews. I'm covering the draft for the Associated Press in Philly. Andy Reed, they draft Sean Andrews. who's like 370 pounds. And, and Chris Berman. Arkansas. Arkansas. Chris Berman. Hey, this guy's 370 pounds. He's going to be a tackle for you, right? And he's like, no, we think he's got the feet to play inside a guard, which was unheard of at the time. You never had guards. Guard, yeah, in the first round. Remotely, remotely that big. Um, and so Andy comes down to the press conference uh, auditorium because they made the pick and he was right on ESPN. He comes down to the press and he's asked the same question. And Andy says, well, I don't know. We haven't even thought about that. Well, as if we don't have a TV <laughs> in the press room, right, and didn't see it. I remember calling my editor. He's like, quote him off of TV. Don't worry about it. Like if he wants to play that game. So I said to Tom, I'm like, Tom, we're good. Like I, I never have to wake up the next morning and no, think absolutely. about, well, who did, who did our head coach leak stuff to? Tom and, was fair and he never in that regard. 
Yeah. Very I, fair. I, he, I, I love that. He I didn't play that was, favorites. That was, that was, he didn't play favorites in that regard. Yeah. That's a good point. Because kids today, and I say kids today, I'm just, you know, but 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 <laughs> kids that are getting into the business today, they'll never understand that feeling of of waking up in the morning and checking the other papers and checking the other websites with with your palms sweating, like, oh my God, please don't let me get beat on anything. And knowing knowing you got your butt kicked on something when you're reading. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that doesn't, because you can confirm something in five seconds now. So, um, you know, it, 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 I always, I, I told, and it was a great meeting and the rest of the meeting, we kind of just went back and forth and, you know, and then, then he, he, he was better with us going forward, but that's, that's the relationship with Tom. It's funny. The giants have done that several times over the years, but feel like the coach, you know, they try, they try to get more media friendly and, you know, get, be a little more helpful. And then it usually lasts like a week afterwards, you know, and then they, and they're back. They always seem to be like back to their ways. Like the coach, these coaches are stuck in their ways. They're, they're not about, hey, it. They're not, they just can't change. That's not, that's not like, one time. So I'm trying to think of this was 07. So I would go out the. it used to be like, you wouldn't get escorted out the practice. It would just be, you can get out the practice whenever you got out the practice. And I would get out there early and I'd always be out. And now you would see something every now and then early that other people didn't see. Um, I remember one time he was Barrett green and Coughlin. The Giants designed Baron Green as a free agent in 04, and they were nose to nose. And this was right before the bye week. And so we go back in the locker room, and, and, and Barrett is running out of the locker room with his suitcase, and nobody else had seen it because I was the only one out there. And he wouldn't comment, but I, I, I was able to write, you know, something happened, basically. Something happened, and it, it turned out later that he was, he was benched. And I had been on the beat only a couple of weeks, so it was a nice little thing to be like, hey, my coverage is going to be different. You know, that, that's what you want to do. Um, and then one time year, a couple years later, Reggie Torbor, their linebacker, they drafted in the third round one year, he turns his ankle. Now he's a starter for the team. He turns his ankle and I watch it and nobody else was out there. Everybody else comes out and nobody notices that Reggie Torbor is missing. So we do the press conference and Coughlin's going through everything. And for the first and only time I could ever remember him ever in a press conference, he goes, oh yeah, by the way, Torbor turned his ankle uh we're, we're checking him out I, and i grabbed him after that and i was like tom you killed me he's like what do you mean i said nobody else saw that i wasn't going to ask you about it because i did, i was going to wait to get in the locker room see what i could find out i said but you just gave it to everybody else <laughs> i was like you can understand that competitive disadvantage i'm like now, now all of a sudden you're benevolent i i thought he when he first said it i thought he did it because he knew i was the only one that was out there uh, but then he, when I when I confronted him, he was kind of like, oh, oh, that's right. You're out there doing your scouting early on. I was like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, you offer access. I'm going to be there. Right. And he's like, All right. I'll remember that next time. So uh, it was a funny little exchange. I, that one. I was like, I can't. I had a scoop. I had I was I, again. Now, he would have I think he would have been on the injury report anyway. But at least I would have had a little bit more on it to say, hey, he turned his ankle to be in the practice. Players are saying this about whatever. So, yeah, uh, you know, it was fun. I, and I listen, I, I, you know, w w I learned a lot. I learned a lot covering, you oh, know, I, I couldn't get the one story. There were two stories at both Super Bowls that I couldn't get enough of. In 2007, I couldn't get enough of the story of Coughlin coming to understand the players better and them coming to understand him better because of it. Um, I, I remember story, I wrote though. a story. I mean, that was, that was the, the story with Coughlin, man. That was it. Right. But, but when you, now, now when you've been writing about it all season, right. And, and now that's the, 
the thing that that everybody else is going to pick up on as they come in. You know, all the national writers are going to write about that. You know, and, and Mike Pope, who was the tight ends coach, I remember him saying something early in the week. I think it was at media day. He's like, you know, you guys are so focused on how much Tom has has has. He only came a little bit toward the players. And and just by going that little bit, they came way more toward him. So if, if you if you were to map it out, you'd think, oh, you know, it would be, he would be way across the fifty yard line toward there. No, they came into his territory way more, and, and and so that was a good way of turning it on his head on its head. That would say, hey, all the talk is this, but and then I went through and kind of got the players' view on some of the things that had happened behind the scenes, and you know, so it was it was I, I couldn't get enough of that story. And then in twenty eleven. I couldn't get enough of the Antrell role came to love Tom Coughlin, right? And that was because he hated him. He hated him to start out. Um, and and he, that was the story that I just, I think I wrote like two or three times that week, just because it was such a really good story uh, about everything. And he had behind the scenes requested a trade quietly, not, not a formal request, but he had told us, you know, so, you know, I learned a lot. I learned a lot covering that team about relationships, about leadership, uh, about a whole lot of things. So I'll I'll always appreciate that. Antrell Roll, one of the one of the great locker room guys, but to, to go to in the locker room. I mean that guy. Yeah, he was willing. Except- he was willing to speak his mind and speak the truth. But yeah, he would toe the line a little bit. But just a great well, guy to talk so we, to. Man. We had a. I was best. working for SNY. I was working for SNY when he signed, and we had a weekly. Every year they had a weekly interview. Brandon Jacobs one year, David Deal one year, Antrell right. Roll one year, and so the problem was. He would go on with uh, Evan and Joe on, on WFAN right? on Tuesday, say something crazy, <laughs> have to walk and then it walk back. it back on Wednesday. <laughs> and our interview was basically him clarifying what he had said the day before. And it was like, uh, every week, I'm like the cleanup crew, right? And I, <laughs> come on, I don't want to be that guy. I, you know, it's just, these guys are lighting a fire, and I have to put it out. What am I, team PR here? So... <laughs> Yeah, it was, you talked about your misses though. You have a favorite story that you covered. I mean, obviously you have the two Super Bowl runs, but you have a fa- you have a favorite giant story that comes to your mind. Uh, well, clarify. I mean, what do you what do you, uh, what, what do you mean a favorite jet like favorite that you that wrote, wrote that you reported that you covered? Yeah. Um, I mean, like I'm saying, like the, I, I'm leaving it open. So like yeah, we were you, talking before you know, about you, the Matt Dodge, that could be your favorite story just because it was so outrageous. But like, you know, like, yeah, I, I, well, the Super Bowl, I went back, I, I, I liked the first one better. I think I, I, the first Super Bowl gamer that I did, the 42 was better than 46, but, but not by much. I actually, the more that I read 40, cause I go back and read them from time to time. Um, but, but 42 was just what I wound up doing as as uh, playoff games were less about like writing a game story in the context of what happened, and they were more about like just paint the picture, just get just it's such a, you get you get in the locker room, guys are celebrating, you're on the field, confetti's flying, just paint the picture of being there. Right. Um, and uh, so those those were fun to write. Um, and I remember and I, reading, I, you, know, I, I, you have you have some legendary uh, Plaxico stories I've read over the years. Some really- I wrote one at the end of his, he, for some reason, took a liking to me. Um, and we had a decent relationship. We did. Um, and he, I wrote one at the end of the 2000s, I guess it was 2007. Uh, and, and he kind of talked about his injuries uh, in depth and, you know, told me he almost shut it down 
He almost went, he just couldn't run at some point. And because he had an, he had, he had an ankle, he had a knee, he had a finger, he had a bunch of stuff bothering him that year. And I think it was an Eagles game or a Jets game. I'm trying to remember 07. Um, and he just, he, he, he went to Jerry Reese and said, I want to shut it down. I'm done. And Jerry told him, just look here, you don't have to practice. Just relax. We need you, you know, and, and he, he didn't practice during the week and then he would play on Sunday. And, uh, so he kind of heading into the playoffs, I think it was before that Tampa Bay game, we kind of sat down for 10, 15 minutes and he just ran down everything for me. So that, I remember that was a good one. Um, I, I wrote what I, you remember the, the features and the in-depth stuff more than like, Hey, I broke this story. Yeah. No, uh, you know, absolutely. over the years. Um, there was one that I did on, uh, you know, speaking of Pat Hanlon, uh, I, I did one. It was my second year or third year uh, on the LeVar Arrington and Antonio Pierce and, the, and their relationship. And, and I thought Hanlon, you were going to tell me you did a story on Pat Hanlon. No, Hanlon. <laughs> I really thought you were going me. there. I was like, no way. I was in the bathroom. And for the first and only time ever, he complimented me on a story. He was like, that was, you nailed that one. You nailed it. I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> it was a weird, like, you don't want to, you got, you're not supposed to have that. Well, I mean, not, you're not supposed to have that conversation, but whatever. Um, but the, the other one, the other one I'll never forget, because this was, this was so much fun. We had a blast. Madison Hedgecock. Uh, who considered himself a farmer who happens to play football. Uh, I went out and did a story on him. He was so unique. He, he, he gets to the Giants. He learns the playbook. He's comfortable. He's like, well, now we get these Mondays and Tuesdays off. If we win, we don't have to be until Wednesday. I got two days to kill. He goes, I just started driving west to find a farm. He says, I, if I had to go to Pennsylvania, I was going to find a farm. He goes, and just before I get the PA, I'm in this town in Jersey. And so he he starts getting in with these farming communities and these, these guys, and he just would go out there and just volunteer work and work with them. And he bought one of these combine, those huge machines that, that reap the corn and, and chew up the corn and the soybeans and all this stuff. Um, and he would just, he, he would keep it there at their farm and, and, and they loved it because it was extra work. He loved it because he got the farm and do it. But the best part was he would like sleep in these people's houses and, and hang. <laughs> it was like basically part of their family. You know, he, he, he got them all tickets. They came to a game and they won the game and they meet them downstairs. And um, he's like, and they're like saying, Hey, thanks for the tickets. They're saying their goodbyes. And he's like, well, where are you guys going? They're like, well, we're going to go home and we'll go out to, can, can I come? And he would, you know, he was like the adopted <laughs> son of all these families. Um I just, and that was, that was, it was just story. so unique. And well, yeah. the best part was then, then I lost that story. The, the, the sports page lost the story because the, the uh, a one found out about it and they said, Oh, we're going to make this our, our cover of the newspaper on, which was huge. Right. But then you're dealing with a whole different bunch of editors and stuff like that. And so, you know, I had to fight for space and, you know, some of the things I wanted to do with the story. Um, yeah. Th- th- those were fun. I mean, those are, those are, I, I talked to people. Who was I talking to recently about this? I said, you know, it's it's um, it's it's. Uh, um, I'm sorry, Rappaport and Pelissero are demanding my attention right now. I got three I, minutes for. Oh God, please! Well, They're sending some spreadsheet on coverage here. This is what you deal with when you're working with Tom Pelissero and Ian Rappaport. <laughs> um, you know, I, I forget what I was saying. Oh, somebody was asking me about you know national versus local, and I said, well, it's. It's good. It's good. I, I miss being on a beat and, you know, covering 
one to 53 or 55 or whatever it is now, you know, you, there are some great stories low down on the roster that would never fly nationally, you know, but, but yeah. it was, I, I, I did enjoy being on the beat and covering everybody and finding all the great stories up and down the roster. I was going to ask you about that because the insider is just a be- different beast. Like, you know, you have to cover all 32 teams and yeah. basically you have to be available at, just way more often. And as I'm getting older, I'm like, man, I don't know if I'd even want to do that. Like, does it, does, does it get to you that you're, you're seemingly always on call? Well, it's, you know, and what, what Tom and Ian are talking about is some spreadsheet over the next couple of weeks for, you know, who, who's going to be on when, um, it, it, and that's a large, one of the big things with coming to NFL network for me was, um, you know, knowing that Ian's uh, to the, to the point where he drives you nuts, where you got your own story and he's just, he, he's got his fingerprints on it. And you're like, dude, I got it. Relax, get out of here. But he, he covers so much ground that for me in this point in my life, um, you know, with two kids uh, and a wife that that's got a, you know, high profile job herself. Um, it, it's, it's good to have, you know, him and, and Tom, you know, I, I don't have to be on all the time. I mean, I've, right, right, especially right. this year, um, you know, with COVID and everything. And um, it, it, there's been so much and so much, it's been a grind and we've needed time to kind of step away and, and, and allow everybody else to, to kind of do what, what, we do. And so it's that that's been good. I mean, it's, it's, it's not like it was when I went to Fox and it was like, you know, Peter Schrager, Alex Marvez and I had to be on top of everything. I mean, it was, it was like standing on a waterbed at times. That, that's Jason Cole. I'll never forget it. Jason Cole um, who covered the dolphins for years and then went national with Yahoo uh, and some other outlets. He said, you know, it's going to be feel like standing on a waterbed. You're never going to have your feet underneath you until you figure out the flow going from local to national. Um, but he also told me this, he goes, there are 50 guys. His thing was, there are 50 guys in the NFL, 50 players in the NFL that actually matter nationally, 50 guys. He goes, and I know like you think Justin Tuck, I remember him saying that because Justin Tuck is like this big, you know, Justin Tuck is on that list, but he's not as high as you think he is. Right. Like, right. And I was like, well, wait a minute. When Tuck speaks, like that's the, you know, in this market, that is, he's like, yeah, but you know, nationally, you, you, you only so many guys capture the entire nation's, uh, uh, you know, consciousness basically. Working and, for ESPN so, and, and, you know, working with the TV side and seeing what gets you on TV or not. I, I know that very well. Yeah. I mean, there's only a couple guys on the giants that resonate. You know, I mean, it's Saquon you Barkley and, and, and Daniel Jones right now. I mean, that's it. Right. And, and, there, and there's Sterling Shepard guys, doesn't resonate nationally. Who doesn't? Like guys like Sterling Shepard. Like that guy. There you go. Right. And, and, and he's a, you know, what, $10 million a year wide receiver, yeah. uh, you know, high volume guy at times. And, and, and no, it, it, he doesn't, he doesn't, it's crazy. It's, it's, it, it, you know, uh, Cole gave me that advice and he was right now, now, you know, listen, it, it, we would pitch features for NFL network um, at, at times. And I remember saying, you know, I could go bowling with pick a guy, right. Odell Beckham, right. If I go bowling with Odell Beckham, that's getting on TV. Yeah. All right. But if I go bowling with, let's pick another guy, right. Uh, uh, Zachers, who I was said, I said, Prince, Prince, Prince Amukamara. Yeah. I love Prince. I know I the best. 
uh, Zach Ertz, right? But no, no, no. I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep it like a guy that you think is still, you know, a hundred catch tight end. You, you better sure the activity that you're doing is more interesting. Like there's a sliding scale, right? An X and a Y axis. You could, you could play cards with Odell. It's going to make, it's going to make TV. You, you start to climb down into some of the other guys, um, you, the, the activity and whatever you're doing or the story that you're, you're bringing that better be more interesting. It's just, right. it's, that, that's how it works. Uh, uh, that's how it works in the national media. Yeah, I know for sure. So tell us how you, uh, give me the story. We'll give us the story. How'd you get, how'd you get on the Giants beat? You're, you're from Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, well, I'll, I'll give it to you as quick as I can. Um, yeah, the, the abridged version. I, in college at LaSalle, I started working WIP radio in Philly, not internship, not an internship. I was working a board op because they had a flyer on the board at, at LaSalle and I, I answered it and they hired me and I worked overnight and midnight shifts and all, all kinds of stuff. Um, but, uh, then because of that, I graduated and I got a, a, a Dick Girardi, a longtime writer in Philadelphia. Um, the, uh, he hooked me up with a meeting with Pat McClune, who was the daily news sports editor, uh, in Philadelphia. We talked and, um, for an hour. And at the end, he says, you know, we haven't hired anybody since 94 and it's 2003. And he goes, and uh, he had an all male staff, right? So I knew that they had to hire like they had one female working there, right? So we were getting into the era of, hey, you better have more than just one yeah. type of person that you're, you know. So, um, you know, he says, I've got certain things, people that I need to hire. And, blah, blah. and so I was like, all right, that was a waste of my time. And it wasn't a waste of my time because almost a year to the day, he referred me to um, Chris D'Amico, the late Chris D'Amico, was my, the sports editor at, at the Newark Star-Ledger. He says, they're looking for a Giants beat writer. Kim Jones, uh, now my colleague at NFL Network. Right. Uh, Kim Jones is becoming the national NFL writer uh, for the paper. So they need a, a, a Giants beat writer. And, you know, to me, the, the Inquirer had like a circulation of 300,000 in Philly. The Daily News was like 190,000 or something like that. Um, and, and the star ledger was like 600,000. Right. So to me, it was like, and, and by the way, like sixth or seventh in the market. Right. So it, it was crazy to me that like this giant paper was still like low on the pecking order. Uh, he's like, but they do a great job and all this. Stuff. So I, I, you know, I'd never been on a beat before I'd kind of just general assignment stuff. And so I went into the interview thinking I had no shot of getting this job. Uh, which is why I interviewed well. Uh, and uh, <laughs> basically it was like, yeah, I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. And then they hired me and I was like, well, you crazy. I can't do any of that. You, you fell for that? Um, and so I, I, you know, and I came in by, by the time I got hired, it was the last week of training camp. So, you know, Coffin and, and the beat writers already had your start of three late. or four months history. Uh, and so I kind of caught it. I, I caught that caboose as it was leaving Albany. Um, and I had to kind of really start writing right away. And, and there were some hard lessons learned early on, but there were also some, you know, I, I kind of, I remember making some calls. I got fortunate to break some stuff my first year. And, um, you know, it was, it was a lot, but the it, dude, rest it was is a lot history. Easier. but it was a lot easier being 23 years old, living in a place where you knew nobody, you could do 24, seven, your job. Like everything was your job, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, flash forward. I'm 40 now. I got two kids and a wife and, 
you know, it, it's it's that that beat writing and beat reporting is really for the young. I, I, I truly believe that. No, definitely. Funny, funny story is uh, I had that same meeting with Pat McClune at some point, probably like five, five Did years you? or so after you, I had that same meeting with Pat McClune. And also yeah, I the realization, Pat. holy I crap, Pat. I'm never getting hired here. And then they've been hired yeah, in like Pat. 20 years. Uh, <laughs> I owe Pat. Yeah. That, listen, the newspaper business used to be, you know, you, you got a job, you held on to it for a while. Um, and that staff at the Daily News, there was very little turnover, you know, and in, in nine years, no hires. That's, that's unheard of today. Yeah. But I tell people this all the time. I tell this story. I give you credit for getting me back into being a beat writer and getting on the Giants beat originally going back to with the NJ.com like that, that you helped me. You were, you helped me get that job. You put the stamp of approval and got me hired on the Giants beat by putting in a good you? word Manahan? with Manahan. Yeah. I was so Kevin working, covering the Eagles Kevin for Manahan. NJ.com. Yeah. Kevin Manahan was the, um, assignment editor, deputy editor. I forget his, his, his title. Um, he, he was, so I interviewed with, Chris D'Amico, who was the sports editor, and Kevin, who was underneath him. And, and Kevin, during our interview, I'll never forget this. The man ate a sandwich as fast as I've ever seen anybody eat <laughs> a. It was, I, mean, I was like, oh my God, this guy, this guy even eats efficiently. Um, and, great, and he, but he great memory. Like, that's, mean, a, people, that's what you remember. <laughs> people at the uh, Chateau of Spain in Newark. Um, the uh, people, people, I mean, Kevin was, Kevin would ride it. Kevin, and I worked, oh, Kevin yeah. hired me. At USA Today in 2012. Um, so I not everybody can work for Kevin Manahan. Not everybody can work for Kevin. Um, <laughs> and and it, but but here's uh, so I'll tell you a Kevin story. So my first year. Now here's the other thing. Today it's like how many days of the year do you write something or do uh, something on the? I mean it's like 250 probably right. It's way up there. It used to be season was over. You never wrote anything unless unless it was like access or mini camp or there was actual news. A lot of times you'd have something they'd say, eh, give us a brief on it. A brief was 50 words. Right. And so now they're full blown blog entries on some lineman they signed as their backup swing guard and tackle. You know, it's just, right. it's everything. That's how much you can do on the Internet. But back then it was, you know, so my first year I was in Philly. No, no, I know what it was. Uh, he couldn't find anybody to cover Mets Phillies. And so he calls me up and he's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so I, I, I said, what? He goes, I got nobody. Can you do this game for me? I'm like, yeah, dude, no problem. Like my family's in Philly. I'll just go back and see them. No problem. I'll write the, you know, so I went down and I covered the game the next day. I was still there and it was an afternoon game. I go, Hey, by the way, I'm still here. Do you want me to go over there and like write a sidebars? And, and he, no, absolutely not. You, you go play golf with your friends. You go day drinking. You go do whatever you want to do. You bailed me out last night. You're not working today at all. Get out of here. And I was like, so that if you did your work for Kevin, um, not only did it make you better, it did make you better. Uh, but also, you know, he, he bent a little bit on, on, on the other side, you know, oh, yeah. Kevin Manahan had your back. Like if you were his guy, he had your back. Like, you know, but you, he were was, his, you were his guy. Like he would, here's the other, he'll give you a hard time, thing. but he would fight the, behind, behind the scenes. He would fight the death for you. You know, Here, here's the other thing with Kevin too. Early on, he rewrote all my game stories, right? <laughs> so the giants, as listen, they went six and 10 that first year under Coughlin. They were four and one out of the, out of the gate. They were four and one. Then they were five and two. And so they go to 
three to one, three and one or four and one. They 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 beat uh, Green Bay in Green Bay. Okay, and so I wrote a story that was this like, hey, look at this bunch of startups break up the Giants here. I you know whatever, right? All this stuff. Um, and uh, I get to the locker. I get off the plane, run right to the locker room. Sean O'Hara is waiting for me in the locker room, and he goes. You, what's the matter with you? Like, we're, we're doing great things here and you got to be negative. I'm like, looking around, I'm like, is he talking to me? Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? He goes, you. I said, Sean, maybe you don't, like, I introduced myself. I'm Mike. He goes, I know who you are. You called us in the paper today, a whiny bunch of malcontents. I was like, I did not write that at all. He said, you wrote it in the paper. I hadn't seen the story. <laughs> you wrote it in the paper. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I leave the locker room. I go back. I dial up on the internet, you know, dial up. Yeah. I pull up my story and sure as such, the Giants, a whiny bunch of malcontents a couple of weeks ago are now at the top of the NFC East and blah, blah, blah. Oh. So I call Kevin. <laughs> I, go, oh. I go, Kev. And this was like the third or fourth time he had done it, right? I go, Kev. <laughs> oh, that's a that's a Manahan move, though. That's a special. That's a Manahan special. You, that's, that said, happens all the time. I'm walking in the locker room, and these dudes, I said, I can't even defend myself because I don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> I said, I'll tell you what. Do me a favor. I said, I promise you. I prom- Let me do this my way, okay? If it doesn't work... <laughs> If it doesn't work, we can revisit this. And then you get, because, because his, his style of writing when he was on the beat was very oh, yeah. edgy, was very in your face, just like his style of everything. Right. Which is, which was great. <laughs> Nothing's changed in that regard, by the way. And by the way, by the way, he, so that week 17 game in 2007 to 2007, remember the Patriots game? I didn't make that game. My buddy got married that night. I was in the wedding. The schedule came out. It was the only game in the NFL on that day. It was a Saturday night. And I couldn't, I'm like, of all the days, but I, I and I'm like, that's ah, all right. It won't mean anything. Everybody will be resting the starters. Cause you know, right. the Patriots will be, and sure enough, it was a game for, for 16 and 0. Um, so he wrote the game story that night. And you think I was, remember I said, I, you think I was harsh on them. You should have seen his game story. He killed them. <laughs> he killed the giants. I even, I read it after I was like, Whoa, all right. You didn't have to go that far. And they you won know, the my, Super Bowl. My, my <laughs> thing was more measured, you know, Hey, and they played them close, big deal. So did these other teams, blah, blah, blah. His was like, he was getting giants. Couldn't call Eli was, you know, choking down the stretch and throwing <laughs> intercept. You know, cause that was, that was, so I said to him, I said, Look, listen, let me, let me do it. I said, you can't, you're killing me. Like these guys don't, cause one day, <laughs> one day before that, uh, he had written, uh, he had rewritten my story. Coughlin said, we got a couple of guys on that offensive line who are being paid as starters and they're not performing as starters. And Cough, uh, Manahan rewrote my story. Pettigrew in Coughlin's doghouse, Luke Pettigrew. Now he was talking about Pettigrew, but he didn't say him by name. And so we put a headline that said Luke Pettigrew in Coughlin's doghouse. Well, guess what Luke Pettigrew thought? I never introduced. I said, hey, Luke, I want to introduce myself. He goes, I believe you already did. And I walked off. And I was like, okay, never going to. Thankfully, he was gone shortly thereafter. <laughs> well, the Kevin Manahan thing in that the Manahan thing in that situation is blaming. Don't don't worry, blame it on me. Don't worry, blame it on the editor. That's fine. Just blame it on Which me. I did. Blame but, it on me. I mean, I never met the guy. Yeah, I, I it, was, it was like my you. first week. My first week on the job, and I had I didn't have a chance to talk to say, "Hey, Luke Pettigrew, I'm Mike Garofolo from the." My first introduction was, "Hey, Luke, I want to introduce myself." 
I believe you already did. And he walked off. I was like, all right, well, that's just the relationship I'm never going to have. So I had the similar one. <laughs> Justin Pugh didn't talk to me for a year because uh, oh, the headline yeah. said, Justin Pugh, I hate Philly. And he's from Philly. He's <laughs> he, he used that. He said that as a quote, but the story explained that he basically was saying he doesn't like the Eagles anymore because he. Yeah, the yeah. But the headline I was hate, Justin Pugh. I hate Philly. I hate the city of Philadelphia. So all his friends are like, F you, you're well, traitor. So, so <laughs> here's another Kevin. Like a year. So this is great. So here's another Kevin story. So I wrote a column ripping Mike Tannenbaum uh, when the jet Tannenbaum went on the radio. I was at USA Today. Uh, and, and he's like, he went on a WFAN talking about how, oh, this team could have easily been, it was, it was the Tebow year. They were terrible. This team could have easily been, if they were like, you know, four and 10 at the time, he, his, uh, they, we could easily be 10 and four. And so I sent the, st- I wrote a column and I sent it in. And at my subject line, I said, you know, Jets general manager has lost his mind or something like that. Right. Um, and I sent it to the desk. Kevin replies a couple hours later. He's like, now that's a headline. And I was like, what are you talking about? I looked up. They actually put that as the headline up on US. I was like, oh, crap. I can't believe they put that up there. And I that one I actually did write unintentionally. So I couldn't blame it on him. That's one of those that you got to be careful with what you give them as suggestions because they'll, you know, they'll they'll use them sometimes. You're like, well, yeah, I, I was just was trying to. You know, this was for an email joke. You know, that wasn't to be. Yeah, right. It wasn't meant to be a headline. Oops. Whoopsie. On the Giants beat. Did were you ever to break ever able to break down Eli Manning's wall? Eli, what? His wall, the Eli, you know, the wall that he has up, he puts up, and you just you you can't get inside the you know he gives you a little oh, bit here or there, but oh, the, his own the personal wall, wall, Eli's wall. Uh, you know, he's so fine with the media. When I when I took two national jobs, I a little bit, very 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 brief moments. Um. I, I talked to him for a, they were struggling and they went into the bye week It was 2012, the year after the Super Bowl, And we did a little, I remember him talking about how uh, I said, well, what'd you do during your bye week He's like, you know, I just kind of sat around, tried to not think about football. You know, I watched a couple movies. I was like, like what? He goes like roadhouse, Patrick Swayze. And, and I remember just like, it wasn't great stuff. And, and it, it got a little bit of play. I feel like today in, in this world with like, you know, Barstool and some of these other blogs, it would have got like, you know, more like Eli Manning watches Roadhouse would have gotten way more right. <laughs> play in these days. But I remember getting, I was like, oh, so he actually gave me like because he would give you nothing as a beat writer, nothing. And he yeah. kind of get, you know, so did he ever get mad did, at you? No, not that I'm aware of. Did he ever? Did he ever? Do I, I, see, stuff. I seen him visibly in press conferences crack a little bit and get mad twice. Once was at Ian even though Ian wasn't there because Ian said he yeah. wanted to be the highest paid player of all, you know, in the league. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. So he went out publicly and he's like, I don't even know who that guy is or some, something like that. Yeah. And, and he got mad after, as Pat Hanlon said, I, I wrote his eulogy with, you know, Eli Manning's on the decline. He kind of snapped it. Right the second I asked him a question, he just turned and he's like, I don't know. Yeah, you, Why don't you yeah. tell me? <laughs> as a, yeah. That's as uh, much you as Eli, you know, snap back at somebody, but yeah. Yeah, I, I wrote I wrote some stuff early on that again I would go back and cringe and you know he 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 was a, he had a citizen uh, uh, a citizen um, uh, endorsement deal I don't know why that oh like my brain is watch I yeah, still think he has it like citizen watch and and it was an Echo Drive they they were rolling out their Echo Drive um, and uh, um, 
the because the, you know it didn't need a battery you just you need the sun it would and so their their tagline was unstoppable and it was before he, they won the super bowl it was like he, i think he it, it, the billboard went up like sometime around where he threw that four interceptions against the vikings in 06 or whatever year that was um i should remember i think i wrote in my blog i was like just leaving the facility yesterday and saw this huge billboard of eli manning unstoppable i was like unstoppable and he's making, he's trying to make this mean face in it, you know. So I remember I wrote something. I was like, "Yeah, it's a little harsh." Years later, I was like, "That's a little harsh." And then the guy became a Super Bowl MVP twice and shoved it in my face. So yeah, I think I think he probably saw some stuff along the way, but you know. And, and then, so the other the other thing I did a sit down with him for Fox in twenty thirteen or twenty four. This was twenty thirteen, uh, and we talked a little bit about personal stuff, like you know having kids and. Uh, cause he had one or two kids at the time and, you know, he was much better on that stuff. And I, I remember the media relations guy said to me, he's like, you know, Eli was walking off and he didn't want to do it. Apparently he, he didn't want to do it. Um, and then he told him, um, that, um, you know, he's like, thanks for making me do that. That was actually pretty good. That was unique and different, but I, I give all the credit to the producer because the producer, uh, Sarah Burlingame was her name. She came in and she was like, I, we're not going to do the same old football stuff. Let's try some different stuff with Eli. Um, and it was great suggestions. Cause he was great with that. Yeah. I mean, Eli was, he, he would give you little bits and pieces, but he wouldn't usually get expansive. Like he, he knew what you were looking for. It's like, I'll give this guy just enough to give him a, a decent story. And then I'll just close the, close the door and on him right there. And that was sort yeah. of his specialty. And he was good yeah. at it, man. I've never seen yeah. anybody so good and refined with the media, just being able to handle uh, everything. The, on, the only one that is Derek Jeter. Uh, Jeter was, you know, Jeter. Yeah. You, you were Jeter gave you exactly what he wanted to give you, and that was it. It's a skill. It's a skill. So it's a, yeah. good, it's a good skill for them to have, especially in that market. So, what do you think about the Giants this year? Where, where do you where do you stand on this year's group? It's been it's been a rough ride because you know, let's see. You went from you said '04 to the, the, the second Super Bowl. You 11 was the last one? 11, and then I covered them through training camp in 2012. I wrote the game story uh, off the first game that they lost uh, against Dallas, and, and that was it. And I, So I eight seasons. You got two Super Bowls uh, and a whole bunch of playoffs, yeah. right? I have, yeah. eight, I have eight seasons, one playoff, and zero playoff wins. So I guess that's why maybe I – it's funny because, you know, you – you're from yeah. Philly. Did you ever deal with the Philly stigma from fans? Because, oh my God, because I'm I'm not even from Philly. I'm from Jersey, but I worked in Philly, so I get it all the time. I'll go back to Philly. You're an Eagles fan. Da, I da, da, still do. I still do. But I you tell do? you know I tell, I still do to this day. Um, but I tell people all the time. I'm like, listen, I, I there was a game. Well, when I, I I said I stopped becoming an Eagle. I stopped being an Eagles fan when I covered the Eagles. You're too close. You're too yeah. close. No, I agree. You know, and 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 people on know, the outside, I, it's hard for them to understand that concept, though. It's very hard to understand that concept. But you know, when you see how the sausage gets made, it ruins it in a lot of ways. And not because like you see a lot of bad stuff. You know, I I I the way I explained it to people was, you know, Donovan McNabb had a great relationship with him. Justin Tuck had a great relationship with him. When Tuck sacks McNabb, how am I supposed to feel about that? Yeah, I don't know because I know the the people involved, right? And, you know, I root for myself, basically. Like, when you write a game on deadline at night for a newspaper and the story's got to be in before the game is over, that, that puts a lot of pressure on things. So go to 2000, 
eight or nine, whatever year it was, the Eagles, I'm sorry, the Giants are up 36-31, right? They're up five. So there's going to be no overtime no matter what, right? Like it's just not, the math doesn't work. Right. And the Eagles got the ball. I'm rooting for the Giants because I need, my story's already written. If the Eagles go down and score, I got to rewrite the whole story and get it. I mean, it's going to be a disaster. So the, the, the Giants make a stop. And I'm like, yes, good, beautiful, beautiful. Send my, you know, like you can't be a fan in that situation. Yeah. I mean, could easily could be the other way. You'd be rooting for the Eagles. It's just, you know, stuff like that along the way. It's just, you're not a fan anymore. And I, I you know, I, I, I say that to people. I, I don't mean to sound like I'm complaining because I love my gig and I wouldn't trade it for anything, but you know, I'm not sitting here like, Oh, and, and I remember, by the way, I, 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 Angelo Cataldi had me on the morning show one year. Um, I think it was after the Giants had won the Super Bowl. And I made a joke. I said, uh, Steve Martirano, who was one of the hosts down there that I produced for, he's like, you know, you, you go up there. I want you to tear it down from the inside. I'm like, yes, yeah, some job I'm doing, something like that, right? I made a joke about it. And I heard from the Giants media relations. They're like, hey, were you on the radio in Philly today? I was like, yeah. He's like, did you say something about like you're sabotaging us? And I was like, what? <laughs> what Somebody called about? and complained to them? And I said, no. What I said was when I went to cover the team that somebody down there said to me, I want you to tear it down because he's an Eagles fan. I want you to tear it down from the inside. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And, and, and they're winning the Super Bowl. So I said, I, I couldn't even do that right if I wanted to do it. Yeah. You know, so I'm like making a joke. And uh, I sent them the clip. I was like, here, listen for your side. They're like, oh, okay. All right. So um you know it's it's you're not a fan when you're doing this uh you can't be it's impossible um but i you know i listen i sometimes you get you know when you're writing these stories i picked against them in in 2007 i remember i picked i picked them to beat the buccaneers and then i picked against them the next three games and by the way the game of all those games that still surprises me the most that they actually won is the cowboys game not even the not even beating the Patriots. That was less surprising to me than beating because every that year when they played Dallas, Dallas had an answer for them no matter what. Like they were just a better team, better skilled team. But the Giants beat them on the right day. They were rolling. They had momentum. Momentum is a real thing. I don't care because it's funny because <laughs> then four years later, I picked them as soon as they beat the Jets, and and the players and the families were saying the same thing. I said the same thing. I said. I've seen this before. This team's going to the Super Bowl. Right. I'm like, they're going to win the Super Bowl. And so I picked them every game from there on out. And I remember before the Packers game, I wrote the Giants have the momentum. They're rolling. And Aaron Nagler, famous uh, uh, Packer fan, grabbed it out of my blog entry. He said, the Giants have momentum. And Nagler wrote, good thing they uh, wait six days in between games when they kick the ball off or something like that. Like basically saying momentum is not real. Yeah. Sure as sure as heck they went up to green Bay and they played like the team that had the momentum. I mean, they, they just, they were, so the, the first time I did it, I said to myself, I was like, wow, that whole thing was over. And I never, cause I grew up in Philly. We never, nobody ever won championships down there. I never experienced anything. So I always assumed teams were going to lose. Right. And so I was on this ride with this team and I said, I never opened my eyes to the possibility that it might happen. And it was over before I realized this. I said, if it ever, ever happens again, I'm going to be ready for it. And so in 2011, I was ready. I said, this is going to. And so I, the whole time I covered it with the perspective of 
this team could go win the Super Bowl. Um, and so, you know, it was it was good to have it both ways. It was good to like be on that ride, not expecting it, and be on that ride expecting it. And not that you're rooting for it, but you're enjoying, you know, these guys that put in all this hard work and the families that sacrifice so much. It, it's nice to see them experience some things along the way and it's nice to see them accomplish things. Yeah, not that you're likes to go into a losing things. locker room where they're like demoralized and devastated. It's a, it's one of the more uncomfortable things you have to do in this job. It's it really is. I mean, you're yeah. like certain guys that you like and you're friendly with, and then you have to go in there and be like, "Why did you suck today?" Based, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but like that's essentially what you're asking them. Yeah, it's, and our questions aren't our questions aren't great. No, they never. So it's you know, it is what it is. So we'll finish on this. How optimistic are you? That this, this is the giant team that can turn it around a little bit. Uh, I am. I am optimistic. Um, I think uh, Joe Judge did a, did a very good job last year of, of changing the mindset. Um, but as we discussed earlier, the, the, the change in the mindset is, is not a one-year thing when you're doing it the right way. Um, it's a multi-year thing. And, you know, would they go six and ten last year? Yes. Um, same, same as Coughlin's first year. And I remember writing a story because Coughlin had been the head coach at Boston college and the head coach in Jacksonville. And both times they were bad the first year and then really good. The like a huge jump the second year. And so I wrote this story going into year two for the giants in 05, uh, basically going back and talking to all the guys from BC and the guys from the Jaguars about, well, why were you able to make that turn quickly? And they said, it was all about, um, you know, mindset and, and, and changing practices and the way that you do things, not practices like practice, like the, your practices of how you do everything every day. Um, and uh, I said, you know, it's kind of going to happen again. So I, I, I sense a similar thing with Joe judge and, and they added talent kind of like the giants did in 05. It just, it seems like it, it's, it's a pattern of what I've seen before. I don't know if they're going to win a division, but they may, I picked them to win the division just because, who the hell else is going to win the division, yeah. right? Um, well, not a, there's so never a repeat I, I, winner, right? We could just eliminate Washington. Nobody ever repeats in this division. Not since uh, 2004, yeah. right? The last time? Yeah, the Eagles. And, the, and then the, the Giants the, won. End yeah. that Eagles run. Yeah, and then the Giants won in 05, and I remember them talking about how they de dethroned the uh, the champions. I remember quoting Ric Flair in my game story because they there were – There you go. Coughlin, Coughlin paraphrased him and said, you know, when you – you, when you, to be to be the best, you got to beat the best. And I was like, of all people in the world to paraphrase, Tom Coughlin paraphrased Rick Flair at his post game press conference. <laughs> um, and I remember it. There these are the, these are, a, these I, I said, nuggets of gold that I need to get that we need to get out of you. I said, I said he quoted him, and there was a huge wrestling fan on the, on the the desk at the Star Ledger. So they called me up and they said, "Hey, you filed your story, and you said he quoted Rick Flair, but Flair's quote is." To be the man, you gotta beat the man. Woo! So um, <laughs> they say we need to change that word to paraphrase. To paraphrase, and I was like, "All right, go ahead fine, and do what fine, you gotta do. Yeah. <laughs> go for it. Go for it." Yeah. So uh, uh, anyway, uh, I, I like this Giants team. Uh, they're they're imperfect in 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 some ways for sure, uh, but I think they're better. I think they're on the winning side of. Uh, a winning record. Now, listen, you only have winning and losing now because 17 games. The eight and eight team has gone uh, by the wayside. Which I is said just... that, and somebody did correct me. You can go eight, eight, and one, Mike. Oh, you yeah, can. Well, you know what? You we, can. Had, we had ties last year. So <laughs> I, I, I said the same thing. I was like, hey, the 500, there's no such thing anymore. But I technically, yes, you can be 500, I guess. Yes. Uh, but we appreciate um, it. We appreciate the legendary. 
Mike G, as they like to call you on the Giants beat. I personally, you know, you're one of my favorites. I'm always deeply indebted. Uh, part of my career is was was only able to happen because of you. Uh, putting in that word with Kevin Manahan. I truly believe that. And uh, we appreciate your time. And obviously, all the success you have is well-earned. No doubt about that in my mind. So thanks for coming on, Mike. Feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business? Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight. S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. That was great right there. I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. Some great stories from Mike G. Looking back on his time on the Giants beat. It's funny because I sit here, I must have said Mike G., you know, 20 times already. I don't call him Mike G when I, when I talked to him. That's just what I, when I came on the beat, that's just what I heard from Giants fans. They all called him Mike G. I call him Garofolo. Uh, but, hey, you know, he goes by Mike G around these neck of the woods. Uh, good guy, really, legitimately good guy. And I do give him a lot of credit for getting me in onto an NFL beat. And uh, I do view him as a friend and a resource at times, you know, Definitely have over the years looked to him and asked for advice on certain things. So uh, great guy. Hope you like that interview. And now I'm going to finish up with a little Jordan on the beat. This is the part of the podcast where I tell you what it's like to cover the Giants, the NFL and work for ESPN in general. And Mike talked about hearing from Pat Hanlon and, you know, the, the I think it was the Mad- Madison Hedgecock story. We said, hey, good job. That was that was a really good story. I got that once, once. From Pat Hanlon as well, who is the Giants' you know, vice president of communications, whatever. He runs the communications department, whatever whatever the title may be. But I got that once. And it was after Daniel Jones was drafted. Everyone was very critical of that pick, by the way. And if you go back and look, there, there's not a lot of criticism for me on the pick. I know uh, there was a lot of people on our air, on ESPN, really slamming it. Uh, even at the time, uh, even on Twitter. I was not harsh on that pick. And the first story I wrote about it, real story I wrote about it, you know, aside from just, you know, the quick Giants drafted Daniel Jones and list all the facts. I wrote a story that was uh, how the Giants fell in love with Daniel Jones. And I got a, a lot of, I think, cool details on the process that led up to that. The work, the, the private workout he had for them where uh, I believe it was Chris Mara was there and he basically walked out 
in in the middle and was like, wow, you know, this this is the guy. Uh, and how Dave Gettleman and we've heard about a flu, full bloom love, basically at the at the Senior Bowl, and uh, yeah, so that story earned me the you know good job from the Giants and Pat Hanlon. The only time in my now eight years on the beat that has happened. Not that I expect it to happen more. I will give them credit though. Like you, you know, Mike also mentioned the Pete Prisco, who's a national writer now. Uh, and he was covering the Jaguars back in the day, getting phone calls at like 6 a.m. from Tom Coughlin, just slamming him and ripping him apart and ripping him a new one. Over the years, I have not gotten many complaints from the Giants. Hey, once, once, one, two, I got two phone calls. I mean, one, you know, not not happy with something I wrote or said over the over the eight years. Never from Tom Coughlin, never from one of the coaches. First of all, if one of the coaches called me, and was MFing me at, at six in the morning about something I wrote. I absolutely, one hundred percent, would hang up the phone. So don't call me at home at six a.m. All right, one hundred percent. That would not fly. So I think Tom Coughlin definitely probably learned that lesson over the years that that wasn't that wasn't the right way to go about it and the right thing to do. So uh, you know that that's my version of getting the pat on the back from the team about a story I wrote with with the. Uh, Daniel Jones, how the Giants fell in love with him story. The, the one time I did something that the Giants actually liked. So Mike reminded me of that with his story uh, about how he got the, uh, the, the, pat of, the pat of approval. That is an intentional play on words right there. So, uh, And that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. Hey, here's what I want from you guys. We'll do a, uh, a Giants after dark at some point in the next few weeks also. But how about you guys send requests and suggestions on people you'd like to hear for, hear from during this summer series we're kind of going to do here in the next few weeks. So I'll take all suggestions. You know where to reach me. Instagram, Facebook, email, uh, TikTok, Twitter, kind of. So reach out to me. Tell me who you want to hear from, Who's ne- who I'll try and get next on this list of guests for the summer series. and. We'll do our best to get them. And as, as always, like, subscribe, tell your friends. Let's grow this podcast. I think we're heading in the right direction this year. Hopefully the Giants are better. This will grow even more. And you'll say, hey, I've been here since the beginning. That's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm Jordan Ronan. See you next time.